Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. I've actually done terrible things like bought a condo that floods all the time and all this kind of stuff. So don't take my advice on that. But in terms of a lending perspective, I guess we've already kind of covered it, but think like a lender, make sure you're covered and get creative. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Joey Murray, how you doing, Joey? I'm doing great, Joe. Well, I'm glad to hear that and looking forward to our conversation. Joey is partner at Wealth Without Wall Street. He started his career in the mortgage business in 2003, became branch manager and led 25 loan officers gaining national recognition by 2010, based in Birmingham, Alabama currently. So with that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, Joe. So thanks for having me. So my background of being in mortgage, I realized that there's a lot going on behind the scenes. The banks make tons of money off of our need for finance. And I realized that I was doing a lot of things wrong in terms of my own personal finances, just from giving up unnecessary cash flows to other people, how I was paying down debt, how I was paying taxes. There's a number of crazy things that I was learning. And I started implementing some of these things myself that I was learning from a mentor and a coach. And about four years in that personally, I really saw the trajectory of my family's finances going the way that I wanted. And I said, man, this is exciting stuff. People need to know this. And I was at a conference looking around. There's only about 300 people in the room that were people that are certified to talk about these things, to teach these things. And I said, man, there's just not enough people doing this. Why don't I do this? You know, I was at the pinnacle of my career in mortgage. I enjoyed what I did, but I knew that I could have a much greater impact if I could help people implement the same things that I was doing. And so 2014 transitioned to work with my mentor at the time, Russ Morgan. I think you interviewed him actually, Joe. 
And we started Wealth Without Wall Street to kind of share this message with the rest of the world. So that's what I'm doing now. Okay. And with your background in mortgage and you have a track record with private lending, can you talk to us about that? I worked at one of the nation's largest lenders. So I got trained to think like an underwriter. You don't submit an application with somebody that you think, oh, this person's never going to get approved because of this and this and this, the collateral, the borrower, the credit, you start looking at things in light of an underwriter. So when I got out of the mortgage business, I was sitting on a lot of cash. As we talk about using life insurance as a vehicle for funding, I was sitting on all this cash value in my policies. And I said, man, what do I know the best? I understand the lending process. And it was weird though, because I had never really thought about it in light of that, like I could be the lender. And then someone came to me and they said, hey, somebody just came to my office and they need a private mortgage because they don't fit the criteria of a traditional loan. And I said, really? I said, well, I'm sitting on some cash. They said, well, would you want to partner with me on this mortgage? They're willing to put down 20%. And I told them that we'll charge them 10% on a 15-year note. And I said, that sounds awesome. I'll mm-hmm. do it. So that's kind of my entree into private lending. And I, I learned some good things, some bad things along the way, but that's how I got into it. Okay. Well, natural question next. Good things and bad things. So the good thing was this was a really low risk situation. It was 20% down on a piece of collateral. I got an appraisal done. I knew what the value was. In fact, it was here in Birmingham, so I could drive by it. There's a physical collateralized asset there. And that was great. Their payment history was great. So I knew they'd pay on time. It was consistent cash flow, And it put money at work that was just sitting there idle up to that point. So those were the, the good things. I had obviously a note and mortgage and all that stuff backing it up. I was on the, um, I was the loss payee on their insurance policy. So I had all the things in place to protect me. The bad thing was I realized money in a velocity sense is way more important than money just growing at 10%. Will you elaborate on that? Yeah. So what I mean is I had at the time, I guess that was somewhere around 75,000 of my money sitting in a deal that as I grew this business, I realized, man, I could be growing my business with a lot higher percentage than 10% if I had access to that money back. And here I was, I was committed to a 15-year note. So if they had held on to that note for 15 years, I realized that my goals changed. You mm-hmm. know, I didn't want just the money growing Coming back to me at 10%, the access to my money was a lot more important Hmm. than it being tied up for 15 years. Gratefully, they paid me off in less than two years because the interest rate was high enough that they were like, well, I I could refinance now. I'm in a different position. And they did. So I got my money back. And will you just take that one step further on why is access to your money over those 15 years more important than making 10% because some people might hear, well, 10% per year, like your initial reaction was 10% per year for 15 years. That sounds great. And so why is that worse than the alternative that you're talking about where you have access to it? Well, let me say this, that everybody's goals are going to be dependent on where they're headed. 
And that's what is so important. If you put into your GPS, you have a destination, then you know how to get there. Well, in my position, I realized I was growing a business and the, the business was the asset that was going to produce a much, much higher return than 10%. But I didn't see that at first. So I tied up my money at 10% thinking, oh, well, this is a great deal. And it was until I realized, man, if I just put in that 75,000 into marketing or into hiring a new assistant, like for instance, in the last year, we hired an executive assistant and that money was far less than $75,000, but it's going to turn into hundreds of thousands of dollars. And one, a tax strategy we implemented Two, we're doing some land flipping now. That's going to be very profitable. And she's helping us with that. She's helped me to be way more efficient. We always talk about time as money, but when you look at what money I have could be helping me to grow my business, the ROI on that is far, far higher than just the 10%. Okay. So does that make sense? It does. That's what I was really kind of realizing within two years of having this money tied up in a mortgage. I was like, man, I wish I had that money back. And then lo and behold, they refinanced. So it was a blessing in disguise. Okay. So is that a combination of the good and the bad that you recognize with the private lending? So let's say that I was in a different position than I was. Let's say that I was in a regular job or I had a business that was already really off the ground and it was mature and all these things. Then having just 10% working on the side and money that would have been otherwise useless would be a great thing. So I'm not saying that 10% private mortgage is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. I'm saying for me where I was, it was holding me back from potentially 100, 200, Mm -hmm. 300% ROI on my own business. So that's kind of the way that that works. And Mm -hmm. I had three outstanding at the time, two of those refinanced back. And then the other one finally came back recently. How many years into it? That one was three. So all pretty short term because it's 10%. And once they can qualify for mortgage rate, then they're going to do it, right? Yeah. Gratefully, they had that motivation. Otherwise, I may still be waiting on that money. Mm -hmm. So basically, it's looking at in anything that we do, especially investing-wise, opportunity cost. It's 10% per year. Great. 15 years locked up. Wonderful security for 15 years. But are we building a business on the side or do we have alternative ways of generating that type of cash flow or greater with that level of safety. And then we just make a decision based on our goals. Okay, I'm okay with a little bit more risk. So let me go this direction or I want more safety. I want to lock it in for 15 years. Let me go this direction. Exactly. And I can tell you, I learned through that I needed to go more short term. So I actually did an auto loan shortly thereafter, within a year or two after that, I still was growing the business. Mm -hmm. And I started saying, you know what, I had somebody come to me that had heard about the mortgage that I'd done. And they said, Hey, by the way, do you do auto loans? (laughs) (laughs) Really? And I was like, never have, but tell me what you're thinking. And that would actually end up being a really good win for me because I started thinking differently. Mm -hmm. And I said, man, I'll do it for a year. And he said, well, I've got this Suburban and it's owned free and clear. It's like a $30,000 vehicle. He said, all I need is 10 grand because I need to get back on my feet on some things. I've gotten behind on some bills and uh, it's worth 30 grand. Here's the title. It's free and clear. And I said, man, that's good collateral against Mm -hmm. a $10,000 loan. 
but then I said, okay, well, tell me what's important to you. And our new cash flow was tight. So I set it up on a, just a minimum hundred dollar a month, just interest only. Mm-hmm. And I said, but in six months, I'm going to go up to $200 a month. So I'm trying to give him incentive to pay me off early to get my money back. Again, I learned a lesson there. Mm-hmm. And then I said, but when you pay me back, you're not going to pay me back 10,000. You're going to pay me back 11,000. as like a lump sum. Use that as an increased payoff. And he said, well, that sounds great. Cause he was actually a real estate agent. Mm-hmm. He was the hardest part of the year, like around this time of year in uh, December. And he said, I'll have the money come spring, summer, fall, whenever the real estate market takes off. And sure enough, he paid me off. But the ROI on that was 26%. Mm-hmm. Even though I had that really small payment, it worked really well for his cash flow, and he was happy to do it. In fact, he came back to me and said, "Hey, would you do that again, another year?" And so I did it two years in a row. Was it a ten thousand dollar loan for a vehicle? Yes, just against his current. Um, right, so but what was he using the ten k for? Another vehicle or something else? No, just to catch up on bills. Oh, okay, all right, all right. Things. Yeah, got it. But then he paid me off, and then he called me back about two months later, and he's like, "Hey." Do you want to do that loan again? <laughs> What'd you say? I said, yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, is that full circle as well or is that in the middle? Yeah, both you... of those have been paid back. Okay. Yeah. But then I had come a long way in the business and I realized it was a good learning opportunity. Oh, yeah. But I said, but man, I actually need to really focus in on where my ROI is coming from and it was from the business. So yeah, it was a great opportunity in the meantime. Yeah, thank you for sharing I don't think we ever talked about auto loans in 1900 plus interviews on this show. So thank you for that. What paperwork is involved with an auto loan? So it was really just a simple note that I had to just agree to on paper. It had to be added to his title. Mm-hmm. And really you're essentially writing that in and then sending it in. And then I was added to his loss payee on his auto insurance company. So he had to show me his declarations page. It showed that I was a named beneficiary if something were to happen and he had to claim it on insurance. And besides that, that was really about it. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty simple. I actually had an attorney just draft up a simple note or whatever. And we just kind of went from there. And being added to lost pay on the auto insurance declaration page showing that that's if he were to claim a loss, if the suburban were to go away magically one day and he's like, someone stole it and you're out of suburban, then you would get the insurance claim, not him, right? Well, I would get paid back. You would get paid. Okay. So how did you think to add that in there? Because someone might not think about that, myself included, if someone said, no, I'm doing auto loan and I probably wouldn't do an auto loan, but it's interesting. And if I did do it, I would do a note and then I probably would think about being added to title. But I might not think about the insurance thing. Yeah. I think what happened is my background being in mortgage, oh, I, just think, right. I think like a lender and they're always concerned about, well, how could this money go away from me? What are the potential risks? And if he were to total the car and didn't have insurance, well, how was I going to get the 10,000 that I owed? Now I have a worthless asset that I can't get the money back and I have no way to go back to him except for go to his personal credit or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it really just gives you that second layer that if something happened, I'm going to get paid back. 
anything else that we haven't talked about as it relates to private lending that you think we should? I think the main thing is just like that. If you can put on the hat of thinking like the lender. So that was one thing. The second thing that I would say is get creative with the Mm -hmm. way in which you structure a deal. We had another client of ours in the community the other day. She said, hey, one of my friends is looking to buy a commercial piece of property and we want to do the loan on it. And this is what they're looking for. They want to do the loan 100% financing on a commercial piece of property. And I said, number one, that's probably not a good idea. You don't have any skin in the game from the person that's buying it. They don't mm-hmm. have any money to lose. They could walk away from it any time. I said, but what if you're confident that the value is far greater than maybe there, there's something there? So we started talking about that. We started talking about, well, what if we set it up as interest-only payments versus amortized payments? How are the leases on the property? Are they six months? Are they 12 months? Are they longer? There's different value that you can put on different aspects of the deal. So start thinking creative, just like I did on that auto loan. He went to a title loan company, which is what his options were besides me. He would have probably had to pay $800 a month because they would have just done it on a simple amortized loan Mm. of 12 months for $10,000, right? Mm -hmm. But I said, man, his biggest need right now is cash flow. So let's just do it as a really small interest payment and then have him pay back more whenever he has this lump sum within the year. And it just turned out to be really, really profitable for me by hearing what was important to him, what he was working with, and then structuring the deal to be beneficial to him. It was a win-win. I like that a lot. There are lessons that we should definitely apply towards our business. We meaning real estate investors, for sure. Think like a lender because most likely a lender is going to be involved. So you might as well start thinking like them (laughs) and proactively address things and then get creative with how to structure deals. Yeah. And think about it from that lender's perspective. You got folks listening to this right now that are going out to maybe get their first private lender. If you're thinking about it from their side, which really that's all of life. If we're always thinking about how other people are considering what we have to say, then we're going to communicate that much better. If you're talking about, man, I just want to make sure you're covered in this. So I want to make sure that we add you on the title, on the deed of this property. Mm -hmm. You're going to be in first lien position. You give them the things that they want to hear. They're going to be much more comfortable lending you the money than somebody that says, hey, man, promise you I'm going to get the money back and you're not speaking their language. This is a great way to walk into that conversation and make sure that you're set up for success to get that private lending in place. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? I guess I would say I'm not going to be your best real estate advisor because I've actually done terrible things like bought a condo that floods all the time and all this kind of stuff. So don't take my advice on that. But in terms of a lending perspective, I guess we've already kind of covered it, but think like a lender, make sure you're covered and get creative. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, let's do it. All right. First quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing 
multifamily properties. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. Best ever resource that you use for your business to stay up to date with the industry news resource or something like that. Well, I'll say this, the way that I stay current is doing our podcast, continuing to hear what other people are doing and staying close to the trends. I'm learning from all the people that I'm interviewing and that's helping me to stay current with our audience. Best ever way you like to give back to the community. I'll tell you the most recent thing was my wife and my five girls and I went and handed out dinners to shut-ins at Thanksgiving. So the people that couldn't get to the homeless shelter, they allowed us to be a part of distributing those meals to them, their elderly or shut-ins. And that was a really, really cool experience for our whole family. What's the best way the best ever listeners can learn more about what you're doing? Our website's number one, wealthwithoutwallstreet.com and the community that we have, you can find out more there at community.wealthwithoutwallstreet.com. Thank you so much for being on the show, sharing your advice on private lending, a couple lessons learned, and some things that we can apply in our real estate business. Put on the hat of thinking like a lender and get creative for how you structure deals. In particular, think about what the other side is looking to accomplish and then approach accordingly. Thanks so much, Joey, for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day. We'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Thanks again.